Is this a dream? No, it's not a dream. I'm an angel. Why would God send me an angel? Because God knows that everyone needs a little coaching now and then. I'm loving angels. I saw an angel. All angels say, Hi, and welcome to the Super Angel Podcast, the go-to podcast for angels backing the next generation of European unicorn founders. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our community at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome you to Renault, co-founder and ex-CTO of Eventbrite, the event management company which IPO'd in 2018. Renault left the company in 2021 and is now based in Paris, where he focuses on investing in climate tech startups and on launching a climate fund focused on the growth stage. With more than 75 angel investments to date, Renault leverages his operational experience to help founders solve complex technical problems to realize their global ambitions. He also works closely with seed VC firm Point9 Capital as a venture partner. If you're an angel listening in and wanting to get closer to the European angel scene, do not hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to connect and see how we can play together. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Verban from Carter is the easiest way to launch and run your syndicate. Verban's end-to-end platform automates your back office so you can focus on what matters, supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and building your network. Angel investors are the fuel to innovation, and they've created the Atom SPV to allow for more deals, more ownership, and less fees. Backed by Carter, the leading fintech infrastructure company, Vaban will be with you all from fundraising to exit. Investors on the Vaban platform have raised over $2.5 billion in global investments for companies including Revolut, Bolt, and SpaceX. If you'd like to learn more, please check out www.vaban.io forward slash EUVC. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Super Angel Podcast. We are so happy to have you all with us as audience. And Renaud, we're so happy to have you with us as our guest today. Thanks so much for having me. Really glad to have you on the show, Renaud, and what a journey to date. So with that, let's get started. Do you want to share your story with the audience and what got you to angel investing in the first place? So I love building. I was a civil engineer by training and I did that for a few years when I started my career. And then when the web came about, I got really interested and started playing with the very basic technologies at the time that allowed you to create a website and put it out and have people from all over the world connect and see what you had created. So that's what really excited me about the space. And I, I joined a startup in 2000 in San Francisco where I was working as a civil engineer. Switched career, became a software engineer. And then a few years later, I met my co-founders to a friend, at, uh, my Eventbrite co-founders. Kevin and Julia, they were embarking on a new adventure of trying to make the event industry more technologically available. So that's what we decided to do together. From an, from a person who has done a lot of events, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. My greatest satisfaction is having people tell me that because I, that's exactly why we built this company. And having an impact in the real world made it not just a software project. I mean, these connections that you build when you go to events is really what 
made us the most proud at the end of the day of having built this particular company. So I spent the last, um, since 2006, building Eventbrite as the CTO, built the tech team, we IPO'd in 2018. And then at the end of 2021, I, I felt that I had exhausted my value to the company and needed to do something else. So I embarked on a more of an investment journey. I had been enjoying investing for a while since 2014, did it a bit more aggressively in 2020, 2021, 2022, and then switched to doing more impactful investments over the last 18 months or so. Very exciting. Very exciting. And I would love to hear a bit more about that, actually. Before that, any specific deals or stories of deals you're happy to share with the audience? Well, maybe I'll share the, the first deal I, I made because it was total accident. I ghosted the founder the first time he reached out, didn't reach out again until a year later. But my first angel investment was in 2014. It was in Algolia, uh, which is a search as a service provider, still one of the few that exists with Elastic. It became a, a unicorn a few years later, but it's still my best performing investment to date. But it really happened randomly. I was giving a talk at, about the Eventbrite story in, in 2013 at a French incubator. Nicolas, the CEO of Algoria and the founder, was in the audience. A few days later, he reached out to me asking if we, I wanted to have coffee or, or lunch with him. I actually didn't reply. My bad. <laughs> I wasn't ready to invest at the time, I guess. I was really doing this to help founders, but somehow I missed his email or he came at the wrong time. And then a year later, he reached out again and they were thinking about moving part of the team to the US and was really interested in my experience working from France with the US team, which I was doing at the time. And then we met, we had coffee. I was very impressed with him, his persistence as well. Tracking down <laughs> twice and the progress they, they had made over the last 12 months. So I invested. Their search technology was extremely fast, they performed months. And I thought the project had strong legs. So I, I put in 18K, I think, in the company. And uh, of course, no regrets. It's still my best investment to date. So I started with a bang, I would say. I wouldn't say that's beginner's luck. I would say that's much more than that. So that's amazing. <laughs> and now looking back, having done many angel investments, and we will talk about that strategy in, in the next segment, you know, what would you say has angel investing given you personally and professionally? Maybe could be also a nice ramp into turning towards impactful investments as well. well I think first and foremost, it's a, it's a human connection um, opportunity. I, I get to meet every week incredibly talented and passionate people. People are ready to leave everything behind and embark on this crazy journey of entrepreneurship. That's what I love the most, I think, about angel investing. The people you meet are all very smart, very intelligent about why they are starting the new business. And I have the privilege of speaking to them on a daily basis almost. I think most angels back people first. People just have maybe a vague idea of what they actually want to do and, and how they're going to do about it, go about it. But I, I get a lot from their passion, from that drive that they have. That is fuel to me. And I, and I think it also gives me a lot of insights into what's happening in very different industries. By talking to people who have been in these different industries that have 
seeing the gaps that exist and or trying to exploit these gaps or, or create something totally new or take technology that they built for research and apply it to something totally different. So I think it keeps me maybe fresh mentally as well, not just reading what TechCrunch produces, but seeing it from people before it gets to TechCrunch, I think is quite a, a wonderful mental exercise. And then you have to decide very quickly in maybe 30 minutes or an hour, maybe two hours, if you're pushing it, whether you're going to invest or, or not. And that's another totally different exercise, but some, one that I enjoyed quite a bit. And on that point, because I know that you are also going to be doing more in the growth stage space, I think that we're going to now go into our investment thesis segment. And that's going to be interesting because doing growth versus doing angel investing are different things. Oh, no. Thought about the thesis thing. So tell me first about your investment thesis as an angel. Tell me, how did you think as an angel about investing in, in startup companies? Did, how did you think about the different verticals that, that, that there are? How did you think about the portfolio constructions you wanted to have as an angel and so on? Sure. So I had zero strategy or, or thesis at the beginning. I think like a lot of angel investors here, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs who are still very busy with their companies, you take that as a, a bonus to the community, like giving back. And that's how I started. I was mentoring a lot at different accelerators, incubators, so I was exposed to some interesting companies and got to know a lot of founders this way. I remember the early days of Seedcamp, for example, where we would all meet with other very talented mentors. There were about, I don't know, 200 people probably mentoring 10 to 20 companies in, in the building at Google, I think, at the time in London. Great experience, very time-constrained, high-intensity meetings, but a lot of learnings from that, from being exposed to other mentors and to giving our feedback to, to companies. So that slowly started developing my view of what good angel investment means. And maybe the first thing I did to strategize a bit more was to actually allocate myself a budget before it was totally random. I would get a deck from someone, a VC, a friend, uh, another angel, an operator, make a decision quickly, didn't keep track of anything in, in spreadsheets or things like that. So first of all, I, I think it was 2018 when I started thinking about joining a, a venture fund. And I became a venture partner at Index to do that. And that's when I needed to show them my track record. So I, I started <laughs> looking into all my yes. folders and documents and recording when I invested in. I only had 20, 25 or 30 investments at that time, but it still was a lot of work to compile it. If you were, quote unquote, so unstructured with, with you know, keeping track of it as, as in terms of keeping a track record and so on, how did you manage the, you know, your value add to them? Was that also more ad hoc? If, you know, if they emailed, if they called me, that, that's, that's perfect. If not, then... It's still the case today. Like, I've, I find many founders think they're going to need you, but in the end, they don't. And technology is much easier, I would say, today to build than it used to be. So I get, very rarely get questions about how to build something or how to host it or... Like there's so many solutions with all the cloud providers and so much resources online that this is not a problem usually. The, 
my biggest value, I think, for founders is connections with the, the venture world, yeah. opening doors to VCs, being a, a gauge of quality when people get your email because they know you're not investing yeah. haphazardly and that you've actually think the company has great potential and not just yeah. because you're trying to have a multiple on your portfolio. So it really depends. Some some founders need a lot more work, uh, a lot more help, sorry, and I get more invested. But it's usually quite cyclical, like they need punctual help for doing a specific thing, either fundraising, changes strategy, product roadmaps, things like that, where I, I match with their needs. And then on, on the investment scope, like, do you think about it bottom up in terms of just the best founders that get sourced by people you respect and appreciate? Or do you have any specific focus areas? I, d I didn't used to have any, so I would just be on the receiving end of a lot of intros and taking the opportunities to have a chat and decide to invest. So that was the extent of my strategy, I would say. Now it's much more... It's a structure to have a budget for the year. I have a target of number of companies. I only invest in climate tech now, so I, I've decided to focus 18 months ago. I got a little tired, I would say, of looking at software projects. And, and I saw the trend of more and more hardware startups being founded by people coming from tech, traditional software tech, I would say and bringing the same types of values of startup building into the hardware and deep tech space. So I'm quite excited about the potential there. I think it, it's also good for the planet, which I always have kept in mind in my career. Like I want to do something positive for, for the world. And I thought my money was better spent in projects that have a bigger impact on, on climate. It's not always an easy transition, right, from going from something like Eventbrite to then going into climate. Because, yes, there's climate that's purely software, but most often there's also a hardware component. Yeah. It's also very often quite regulated, so on. And then the science is typically also very deep. So how have you navigated that transition from doing something as Eventbrite into now investing in the next carbon capturing uh, technology? And that's what I love about it. Like there's so much to learn. It's anchored in a real world. So it's not just some figment of imagination of someone's very smart that's created something very complicated. It has, it's based in science. So there's a lot of literature available to read about many different aspects of, of climate technologies. After that, I'll never be an expert in chemical reactions or specific types of combination of technologies. So you have to rely on, and it's the same in software. Like I don't know everything about cybersecurity or AI or things that I've invested in the past. So it all boils down, I think, to what is the product? What is the market? What is the team? Why them? Why now? I think that still applies in, in hardware and like on the specialist of that specific technology that they use to solve a specific problem. Is the problem big enough and is the market ready for integrating this solution into their supply chains? And that, I think, doesn't necessarily change. You have to validate the science part and there I think you need a network of trust. People who have a bit more depth in, in understanding of what's available, what's been tried, what has succeeded, what's failing. 
And on the economic side, it's a bit harder because I think it's very nascent still. There's a lot of push from consumers, regulators, corporates, all of that, that I think will make the, the pricing question less evident than it is today, where you just compare if the premium for the green solution is too high, then you probably shouldn't invest. But I think that will change over time as there's more regulatory pressure to support the transition. So it's a big one that we need to go through. There's a bunch of questions I want to ask, but before we do that, I do think that we should just invite you to tell us a bit about what you're going to do in growth, because that will provide a bit more context for, for the audience to then understand the conversation that will ensue. I mean, I always enjoyed the early stage, the product definition, creation, finding the market fit and all that. But I started taking board seats in scale-ups just to see what it would be like and what kind of challenges. I've seen the ones we've faced at Eventbrite, so I think there's some very relevant learnings there, going from a few three founders to a few employees to thousands of employees and an IPO. So I thought I would try joining scale-ups and see if I can be useful there as well. The problems are very different, but I enjoy the, the complexity of a very large organization, historical contexts, a product that's established but needs to transition oftentimes to something different. So it's a lot of different topics, but I find them as enjoyable as, as getting to product market fit in the early stage. When I talk to a lot of the climate entrepreneurs, the new wave of entrepreneurs who want to do something about climate change, their biggest hurdle is once they get to a certain stage, is how do, we, how do they reduce the time to impact of their technologies? How do they deploy their solutions in the fastest way possible? And that is done later than I think in software where it's usually at series B plus when you start real commercialization. And you have to have proven that the technology works already with a few pilots. And then the acceleration of it is, is a challenge still. In a way, you'd say that much of your experience base from being at Eventbrite translates very, very well into the late stages of climate. Because if you were to do pre-seed stage climate stuff, then it would be three guys in a lab and much more about thinking about what's going to be the pathway of this. Whereas what you're really good at in your experience set is, is actually doing those interests to the larger investors, larger customers, and also thinking about scaling a team, scaling international markets and so on. And not just my Eventbrite experience, but all the investments I've made in, in startups that have gone through all the different growth stages. And I mean, some problems are the same, like which team do you need at what point in time? When do you raise money? Why? What are you going to do with this money? How are you going to deploy it? Where are you going to deploy it? Are you, do you need an office in Bangalore or you going to launch your first plant in Kenya because it's cheaper? I don't know, making things up, but these are strategic problems. And I think strategy is definitely something that's very hard for a lot of organizations to do properly. There's a nice learning for the, uh, all the journalists, VCs that want to go into both growth stage and also <laughs> climate. Well, here's the appropriate argument, right? <laughs> so a lot of journalists, VCs will be happy to hear this tip. <laughs> I think climate in particular is so broad, like it touches all segments of the industry and, and 
you have to know so much that I think generalists will be doing well in software where it's exactly the same playbook as for other types of software. But for the more complex solutions that require the, the big companies to be a part of it to be successful because they are the ones who own the end product that is needed, then it's a much different ballgame and we need different skills, I think, even on your investment team and operational team to be truly helpful. How do you lean on uh, on software versus hardware? Because that's the talk I always have with fund managers when they, you know, do climate. Then it's like, so where do where do you lean on that? Just for me to understand, because it, it's it's quite con consequentially different whether you are primarily software or primarily hardware. No, I think we'll be primarily hardware with a big component of software and AI. I call them the enablers into across yeah. different segments of the industry. As we've seen a lot of AI deployed in, I would say, the software tech worlds, but not so much in industrial settings, for example, where there's a ton of data, but it's just, I don't know why, but I think the talent doesn't migrate to these type of industries because they're older, more established, they're not as exciting. But there's as much to do with the data from a, I don't know, a cement factory than with consumer data for an e-commerce site that could be much more impactful for climate change. Yeah, I think I think this is super exciting, and it, it is the hard problems, no pun intended, and it is I think the impactful ones in climate. And what makes it so difficult for a software investor to do really investments that that move the needle today, at least on the climate side. And and so from the learnings you've had from angel investing in some respects, right, and the network you've had, like collaborating with other angels and VCs. How do you think about that in the context of the new world or of your new focus, right? You know, the, the types of angel investors, the types of VCs you'd be collaborating on, the network you're building. Well, there's a new ecosystem almost. Like many of the climate funds that are currently active in climate tech or new funds started from either experienced VCs or, or just people who want to get involved and are, have had enough of standing by the sideline and, and cheering to whatever someone else take the take the lead there so i found the climate investing world much more collaborative than the traditional vc world even angels like we share a lot of deals there's not too many of us maybe yet and i hope you will grow because i think the, the demands for the transition is is huge but yeah i've had many VC firms offer to make introductions to their LPs just to get the fund started. So there's a lot of missionary aspects to the field that are, are quite attractive to me who have had that mission for a while. And it's, it's still to be defined, like we're looking at how many exits have, have happened in climate tech, especially in the hardware space where it's much more complicated to invest. And the reality is that there hasn't been that many. There's been a, a series of SPACs that have performed quite poorly, actually, because they were mostly in 2021, when the height of the hype and have come down to much lower levels. So I, I think we're seeing a little bit the, how do you call that, on the curve of hype. We're in a bit in the low, but... I can see a, a bright future personally for climate tech. That's what excites me. I think we, we need to be a bit contrarian sometimes and, and think that the impossible is possible. I'm curious to ask you because we have had like 
in climate, we do have a strong position in Europe, especially when we talk hardware. Venture's always been behind the U.S. It still is. It probably will be for quite a while. And there's always the question, once you get to the growth stage, should you start practically just going to the U.S., right? How, how do you see Europe being positioned when it comes to climate? Because it's a bit different from, from when we talk of, about the more software. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely a gap in European funding for early growth stages for climate tech. So that's the gap we, have, we would love to take advantage of. But also, like, sovereignty of technology is important. Like, we need Europe to be strong, to have a strong tech ecosystem of solutions that we can implement for ourselves, but also for the rest of the world. And there's a lot of money available, so it's just not being directed to to venture growth. And that's too bad, I think, because the, the governments have pledged billions and billions, hundreds of billions probably by now. It's just not trickling down necessarily to the right funds or can enable these promising technologies to be deployed. That's really what motivates us. Like it's not necessarily about European sovereignty, but yeah, it's too bad we have to give away 20, 30, 40% of the best companies to, I would say, mostly the US investors or sovereign funds across the world. Got here learning more about them angels, are you? If you had to share with the listeners three core learnings from your time angel investing and investing more broadly, what would those be? I think no matter what the stage, you still have to bet on the team. Like this is the core of the company. They define the culture, the way of doing business. Maybe they are not there eventually in later stages, but you've got to believe that the team, no matter what market, what technology they promote when you, it's the time to invest. Like they, you have to believe that they will find a path out or that it will quickly fold. I think the two paths are probably the preferable ones to surviving for a very long time. And I have a few companies like that in my portfolio, of course. <laughs> That's the key, I think, to the success eventually. So it's hard to gauge the team components very quickly. So there, I think there's a lot of gut feeling, pattern recognition of different profiles that do well in entrepreneurial settings. and testing the, that they have the right motivations and that they come in at the right time for the venture to be successful. That would be the, the first advice. Maybe a second one that I've learned maybe a bit too late is to follow on in the winners if you can. The companies that aren't doing well, keep, keep some reserves because you want to try to maintain your position or even increase it. That's how the biggest returns are, are made in venture. I've learned that by working at funds. That's how most funds work work and keep or even increase their allocations over time. And then maybe the last one is um, understanding your, your true motivation and what excites you about angel investing. Like I think the first 20 deals you do, because you can, like you have access, you have a specific aura or following or fans out there and you satisfy your craving for being useful and giving back. But after that, like think about what your strategy is, how you're gonna be in the best deals. By being maybe passive, I, I've missed on the best companies out there. Because the best companies have choice. And if you don't talk about your hobby, like don't promote yourself as an angel investor, then probably people won't think about you. 
when the time comes and the best companies have choice. They already have networks, usually they have PCs that are very influential, that have their own networks of angels. So think about how you position yourself to be exposed to the best deals and, and invest, given, be given the opportunity to be part of these unicorn journeys. Because there's not that many, after all, like when you look at most angel records, you're lucky to have one, two, three, maybe over a 10 year period. Some people are luckier, my co-founder Kevin had many, a uh, very short amount of time, but these are few and far between, I think, for most angels, especially in Europe, where we haven't had many exits. And the unicorn phenomenon is quite recent. Yeah, totally. I love that last point in that, that kind of being intentional and starting to focus after you've gone through, like realizing what your passion is and then being more intentional on how you want to position yourself. I do think also like being top of mind, which is kind of also partly what you're suggesting here. There's so many different ways of doing it, right? As in, you can just brand yourself a lot or you can focus on a specialization so people think about you like that or the way you position yourself to different types of stakeholders on the value add you bring or just networks, right? Like specific networks. It's just about being intentional. So I couldn't agree more. I think every angel investor will have its own channels that they develop to get the deal flow. I mean, we can't be watching all the companies that are being started. Right? This is not scalable. We're usually one, one person teams. Maybe we have a small group that we collaborate with, but our time is limited. Usually you're still active in your own company. So think about like, yeah, what are the few channels that are very, give you the quality that you need to be proud of your track record at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. One, one more area I'll double click on, and that's more my like fund management hat on and geekiness for that, which is you said, you know, following on in your winners if you can, right? I totally agree with that. In retrospect, it's very easy. In reality, I think it's much more challenging, right? I would love to unpack that a bit more if you're happy to share. How do you think about, you know, the ability to really, I don't know, discover those and see those in 2020, 21, maybe was the, the extreme example of like, you know, rounds happening, you know, four months later at 5X valuation uplift and having zero signals on whether that's an indicator to success. I don't know if you have any firm views on that. Just wanted to unpack it a bit more, but because I do agree a hundred percent with your, you're just challenging in practice. Well, I'm not saying you should blindly follow on if, if you believe the company is just on a hype cycle and there's momentum trading, I would say, on the, on the venture side to keep piling money into some of companies if you don't believe in the initial business model necessarily. Like I'm thinking of all the, uh, the gorillas of the world category. For a year, there was so much hype that every fund wanted to be part of it just because they could have multiples in, on their quick investments because the category was hot and being defined, but at the end of three years later, like there's no one standing and they burn through huge amounts of cash and maybe the founders got money, but I don't think, and some angels did because they exited. So be wary of those, I think I would say, but if you believe in the fundamentals of the company that they've proven their growth execution playbook over the last 12 months, 18 months between rounds, the more classical, pace for building the, the equity story, 
then definitely. But sometimes you have to ask. Like a lot of times you don't get your allocation because you didn't ask at the right time. You didn't say you would be interested. They think you're just investing at the PC when you actually can follow on until Series B. Yeah. And they don't make room for you. Sometimes you get pushed out. That's true. And the new VC wants as much allocation. The existing ones wants to increase their allocations. So you still have to play your cards right and and push a bit harder than the others or have been more valuable to the company than the others. That's also one way to stay active on the cap table and have your say when the time comes to double down or, or more. I've got a question, Arno, that most often you see VC funds when they save for follow-ons, it's in the neighborhood of 60 to 70% often. For most angels, that would be a bit tough, right? If you do 5K and then be saving another 70% to, to follow on funding, right? That is difficult for most angels. So have you had any reflections? I guess you've spoken to many, many peers that would say exactly that. Well, I put 5K, I can't be saving that much. <laughs> it's not difficult. It's just money and budgeting. Do you have enough to invest and how much you keep for follow-on investments. And you can decide that you don't want to do that. Most angels decide not to do that. But I think they decide not to do that because not because they haven't thought about what it could look like if they did. They just say, I, I write 20K checks and that's it. So it's more a question for you. And it comes with experience because when you start, you ha haven't had the opportunity to see the upside of your incremental 0.2% or whatever you're going to get at the end of when the company is a decacorn, then that amounts to a lot, actually. And you had this opportunity because it was right there in front of you. You signed paperwork that says you have the right to follow along. So not taking advantage of it is too bad because the winners are what defines your rate of return at the end of the day. Totally good. Uh, I, I was just, I'm just standing here thinking a bit because I, I, I think that there's there's that you need some money to throw around to be able to participate in a series A where it's anything close to meaningful, right? I mean, usually your follow-on is less than your initial ticket because you're just maintaining your position. So it's not, you don't need to put hundreds of thousands of dollars or euros to, to follow on. And you can decide you want just 50% of your allocation. Like that's depending on your budget and how big the round is. It's more like which mental limit you put your, the, the valuation at. Because this money, you won't be able to use it to make other investments. That is the trade-off you're making when, when you decide to follow. Unless you have unlimited funds, then great for you. That wasn't my case. I think that's what's amazing about this craft, that there's so many ways of doing it. And I am fall more in the camp of Renault in that, like, you know, you can be more selective, be a bit more focused, do slightly fewer and then try to really follow the success stories. The argument, if you just follow statistics and you look at average cases, it's very difficult to make in that shots on goal versus follow on at the pre-seeds given a failure rate. But in reality, averages are not as meaningful, I think, in, in the craft we are. It's more a matter of, you know, if you want to be more concentrated, you need to have a strategy, a focus, a, a way of going about it, and that can pay off really well. Or if you don't want to be that, maybe you want to just do volumes, right? And just be like an index in some respects. That also works. And I think 
you have different problems there as an angel, which is capacity. But I think that's what I love about this craft, right? That like it can it can really work on appetite. But I think what's really helpful with what you're saying, Renault, is like a lot of angels not making that conscious decision at all, just because they they they're not they're not sophisticated enough. They just haven't thought about that, right? And I think just making that conscious decision is super important. Or they don't really know why they are doing it. Yeah. That's the thing we do when we make money at some point. On the note of we make money at some point, let's head on over to the quick fire round. It's the round where we will ask you quick answer questions. Are you ready for it, Leno? Yeah, sure. What is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you started angel investing? Maybe it's the misconception that the more deals you do, the better you'll be at it. It's easy to think that at the beginning you're less good, but I found it to not be the case. Like, I think I was much more, because I wasn't doing it at scale. I was willing to take fewer bets, but better thought about than when I was doing a lot of deals in 2020, 2021. There was a lot of activity, but it was very much cookie cutter type of deals. Operators coming out of another company, having found this really cool niche in SaaS that will of course be huge, but you you tend to do deals with less diligence when it matches your pattern recognition in a way. So maybe I took less risk as a result and didn't look at some other spaces that were more attractive in terms of potential future gains. And you become a bit lazy because you're just doing the same deals because you've, you've seen it before. So maybe that's one I would say that you have a risk of doing that when you do too many. Now, what would be your top tip to angels wanting to do more international investments? Maybe old school, but going to events is still a good way to, to go and not necessarily to meet startups, but to meet the other angels. I, I don't think we network enough as a group. We are on the same cap tables for in many different companies, but it's rare when angels even develop like amicable and sharing relationships. There's more and more angel groups and I'm part of one. We're called the Whispers. And we have about 10, 11 people who share deal flow on an ad hoc and very informal and disorganized fashion. But it's it's a lonely job otherwise. So you have to build your network. It could be other angels, could be other founders in your network or in different countries. I spent a lot of time evangelizing even wide across Europe. So I did build a lot of relationships, went to a lot of events, talked about my journey, showed to people in the audience that maybe we need a newer thing or two about scaling. And I was one of the rare CTOs, actually, Angel Investing. So I think you have to find your unique selling point in software and put the emphasis on that, build the relationship with the VCs as well. Like, VCs always need value at people, so find what your value is. Make friends with these people who are not going to make too many introductions because they don't have time. They need to close their deal and they might do two, three, four, maybe if they have space and want to be helpful, but it's not really their job to fill the cap table. So make sure you're well identified as someone who can do X and build the, the relationship with a few funds that can bring the type of deal flow that you're looking for in the verticals that you enjoy particularly. I would say that's one sure recipe for getting higher quality international deal flow because it's still very competitive in each country. 
And finally, what advice would you give to your own 10 year younger self? Maybe to be more vocal and explicit about I'm doing angel investing, I put tickets in X, Y, and Z, I invest at pre seats in whatever. Like, define your positioning statements, maybe your mission if you have one, how you're going to go about it and make it a, a true a true business in a way. Market it not super actively and within your own personality, but it's it would have helped me, I think, get access earlier to much better companies and, and yeah, invest my money more wisely than the way I did it in the beginning. Thanks for joining us and sharing your story, Renault. The ecosystem is lucky to have you and can't wait for this next chapter in climate. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a true pleasure and congrats on the podcast. It's really uh, good to have something around the work that angels do. Uh, thanks a million. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Super Angel Podcast, the go-to podcast for angels backing the next generation of European unicorn founders. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Angel LP Syndicate at eu.vc. And if you're an angel listening in and wanting to get closer to the European angel scene, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. We'd love to connect and see how we can play together. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Vaban from Carter is the easiest way to launch and run your syndicate. Vaban's end-to-end platform automates your back office so you can focus on what matters, supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and building your network. Angel investors are the fuel to innovation, and they've created the Atom SPV to allow for more deals, more ownership, and less fees. Backed by Carter, the leading fintech infrastructure company, Vaban will be with you all from fundraising to exit. Investors on the Vaban platform have raised over $2.5 billion in global investments for companies including Revolut, Bolt, and SpaceX. If you'd like to learn more, please check out www.vaban.io forward slash EUVC. You've been touched by an angel, girl.